How is that? Wow, that's so good. That's so pretty, no? That's so good. Don't worry, it's okay. I have to redo this intro because I asked you to help me with the audio. Oh, I was wow. 10 minutes into it and he's holding a mic going, Wait, babe, was I supposed to do something? <laughs> Give me an intro, come on. We have a professional intro now. Bada bing, bada. Bam! Bada bing, bada bam! Welcome to this week's episode of Bacon a Murder, Bacon a Mystery, a bam for short. We're actually bringing it back to the old school baking. For the longest time, I was getting so frustrated with this series because anytime I did anything, I would have to go, all right, well, I'm just gonna go put it in the oven or all right, well, let me just cook it up on the stove and then I would just turn around and disappear in the middle of the video and that was not cool. I finally got myself a portable stove. I should have done this 10 years ago, but don't blame me for it. Today we're making boba from scratch. Yes, the balls too. I did not order tapioca balls. I'm making it by myself. For this week's episode, I highly request that you call me the, the ball, ball master. master and nothing else. I will no longer be responding to the name Stephanie. Just Ballmaster. Today we're talking about an audiobook called Before She Knew Him by Peter Swanson. So this author, we actually did another um, book by him. It was called The Kind Worth Killing, the one with the crazy plot twist. But I had like my mini rant in it because um, he just kept talking about all the directions. Do you wow. remember that one? Yes. Where he just kept giving me like, then she made a right on this street and then the trees, like the pines were falling and I was like, why am I suddenly a ways navigation? But this book was highly recommended by a fellow YouTuber. I'm like low-key a fan, Kennedy Walsh. So she was like, there's there's a plot twist in the end. I gasped. And I was like, well, now I have to read it because if it's not good, I can judge her for it. But then it ended up being really good, so. Love you. <laughs> I actually listened to the audiobook version, which I thought was really, really pleasant. Which, by the way, this week's episode is brought to you by Audible. You guys know I have been talking about Audible for so long now. I use it on a weekly, if not daily basis, especially these days. I don't think there has been a day in the past month that I haven't used Audible because it is the leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Whether you guys are looking to listen to audiobooks or even podcasts, our podcast, Rotten Mango, is on there. If you guys are looking for celebrity memoirs, even even like guided meditation. They also have original entertainment created by celebrities that are really, really good that you can only get on Audible. If you're like me and you love true crime documentaries, you've watched every single one that has ever been put out by any other platform, but now you're like, you know what? These documentaries aren't really doing it for me. Audiobooks. Wow, it just like opened up a whole new playing field. I mean, it's so pleasant because you can be doing the dishes, you can be literally running on the treadmill, running some errands, listening to it in the car, and the narrators have such good voices that just make you feel like you're immersed into it. As an Audible member, you actually get one free credit to choose for anything, every single month. If you guys are an Audible Plus member, like I personally am, honestly, it opened up a whole new game because they've got their Plus catalog of just thousands of titles, original entertainment, and free versions of your favorite shows and your favorite series. My next one that I'm gonna be listening to is an audiobook called The Other Emily, and it's about a writer by the name of David, and his wife Emily just like disappears. All the police say, I think that she was taken by the serial killer who's now in prison, and he hasn't admitted to it, but I'm pretty sure because it was in the same area around the same time. So this author, David, he keeps going to the jail cells to meet with the serial killer to ask him questions about what were her last moments like. Now during this time, he also ends up meeting a new woman, but there's just something about her that reminds him so much of Emily. 
I haven't finished it yet, but I imagine that there's going to be some crazy, crazy answers at the end. So if you guys are interested, make sure to check out audible.com slash BAM, that's B-A-M, or text BAM to 500-500. And thank you, Audible, for sponsoring today's video, and let's get into it. So I'm going to turn it on. You're just going to need about a third cup of water. Throw it into your little stove. You're going to get some dark muscovado sugar. I'm making the boba balls right now. Um, I'm doing what I do. So just gonna like heat it up real quick and then we're gonna dump in one fourth cup of the dark Muscovado sugar. I don't know if you can um, substitute this with brown sugar. I imagine maybe you could I don't think so. Yeah Yeah, but I don't know if you can even find this at like your I think I, I ordered it a while ago <laughs> He said just get it on night <laughs> All right, so we're gonna just casually mix this while I tell you about this book. There's quite a bit of characters in this one, so you've gotta hold on tight, and it's got to do with some sort of serial killings. And what I really liked about this book is that immediately you kind of understand what's going on. There's no, I'm not a huge fan of slow burns until you wait till like the last chapter to find out everything is coming together. This one straight up tells you from the beginning who's the bad guy, who's the good guy, and what's gonna happen. So we have Hen and Lloyd. So Hen is short for Henrietta, and her and Lloyd had been married for a little while. So Hen and Lloyd, they decide that they're going to buy a house in West Dartsford, Massachusetts. This is kind of like the suburbs of Boston, Massachusetts. It's about like a 30 minute drive. And this just happened to be like the best place for them to settle down. So Lloyd, he works in the city of Ma or Boston, so he would have to travel for work. Whereas Hen, she has always been an artist, like most of her life. And they have all of these really cool converted studios in West Dartford. I'm just setting the scene, you know, I've never been to Massachusetts. But I imagine some like leaves falling, you know, like very I've been to Massachusetts. What the fuck? <laughs> I've literally been to Massachusetts Anyway, so they buy this house together and they've got all these neighbors and it kind of reminds them of like a young hipster neighborhood So we're gonna be talking about hen mainly She's like the main protagonist of all of this and she has a very very interesting career She's not just a regular artist. She's like a child illustrator So she illustrates for children's books, but that's not how she started ever since college She won tons of awards for having some of the most kind of like grotesque, uncomfortable paintings. And she always paired it with elements of kind of like this children's animation. So she ha she would have one where a bunch of foxes are dressed in human clothing and one of them would have their foot chopped off by like a bear trap and they would all just be looking around with their human clothes on. And it's just kind of like this really sinister yet childlike pictures that she loved drawing. There was another one where you've got a family just greedily eating the meat on the table. It's like a family dinner. They've got meat juice just coming down on their chin. And then when you look closely, one of the daughters of the family, she has a fresh bandage and she's missing a leg. So it's like, oh my God, are they eating her leg? Why are they eating it so greedily? Like what's wrong with them? And it just, she has just an artistic style that's very fascinating. I personally like it. And so I'm like, I know her. <laughs> She ended up getting a studio near the house that they recently bought and she can even walk to the studio So as these new neighbors are settling into their house The neighborhood decides we're gonna have a block party and we need to invite Henrietta and Lloyd because they need to come They're the new neighbors. So she's like, I don't really want to do this Like she is not a sociable person Lloyd is kind of like the easygoing dude that can just drink a beer with anyone But hen she's like they're just gonna ask me what hen stands for and I'm gonna have to explain to them 21 million times that it's 
short for Henrietta, and it's just going to be boring. And Lloyd's like, come on, let's just go for five minutes, let the neighborhood care, like the neighborhood know that we care about them. So she ends up going. It's bubbling. Okay, so now we're going to add one spoon of this tapioca flour. Don't pick your nose. Like a small spoon. Just to kind of get it going. And then you're going to start mixing and mixing. Oh, yeah, get rid of the clumps. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, are you here for the boba? <laughs> He's like a customer right now. Like, ma'am, I asked for extra bubbles. So we're adding one fourth cup of flour. You're gonna do in total three fourths cup. Vigorously. Vigorously. Yes. Vigorously. Oh my god, oh my god, so clumpy. Yeah, why is so mine clumpy. so clumpy? Faster, faster. Vigorously. <laughs> oh yes. Oh, oh yes. yes. Oh yeah. Oh, You're yes. doing great. You're doing great, baby. Thank you. <laughs> Do you think boba shops make their own boba or they order their boba? They freaking order it. I used to make boba tea. <laughs> mix, mix, mix. Hold on, hold on. Are you serious? Yeah. Have you ever seen a more pleasant angle? This are These are shorts. I'm wearing a romper. Okay, so now you're just gonna, just with your bare hands, manhandle the hot dough. Is it hot? It's really hot, actually. But that's okay. So we're just gonna knead the dough. And so they get to this block party and most of the people there are a bunch of hipster couples filled with, you know, they brought their kids. It's just not a vibe. Hen and Lloyd, they don't have kids. So they instantly, they start connecting with the only other people on the block that don't have kids. The only childless couple other than them. Can you add some water, sir? This is quite a process, you know? Oh, there you go, it's forming. Oh, there we go. How many balls do you think this will make? Imagine I spent two hours making two servings of boba tea. Back to the story. So they start linking up with the only other um, couple that doesn't have kids at the party. And it's their right next door neighbor, Matthew and Mira. And they're a very interesting couple. So Matthew, we're just going to go down his first impressions. He's got these pale blue eyes. He, If you look at him, he's objectively handsome. But maybe like too handsome that you wouldn't be interested in him at all. He looks like Harrison Ford. That's how she describes it. He also has like this scar underneath his mouth that she all, she just like kept looking at throughout the entire conversation. He's just an interesting character. Now, Mira, his wife, on the other hand, she is objectively so much prettier than him, like way out of his league. She's beautiful. She kind of has like this aura about her, and she seems really, really nice, if not too friendly. So they start talking at the party about just nonsensical stuff about the neighborhood, about, you know, do they like living here? When do they move in? All of that jazz. And Hen's first impression of these people were hey, they're kind of nice. They're really chill, especially Matthew. He seemed super sweet. He's actually a history teacher at the local private school three towns down. So this is a private school that like a bunch of rich kids go to in Massachusetts. He's a history teacher. Mira, she pretty much just travels every day for work. She sells like educational software. This isn't really pertinent to the story, but she is basically never home. This part's kind of pertinent later. So Matthew, I mean, she just had a really good impression of the guy. This seems like a nice guy. And she didn't know if it was because she had a couple of drinks at this party or if it is because her new cocktail of meds. So this is when we find out that, okay, like there must be, maybe there's some unreliable narrator type situation going on because when you hear, you know, cocktail of meds, you're thinking no one's going to believe her. She could straight up witness a murder and the police will be like, but are you mentally ill? It's a lie. So 
So you want it to look like a really healthy poo, and then cut it in half. Who's um healthy looks <laughs> like that? <laughs> Put half of it and cover it so we can retain some of that moisture. I really don't know what I'm talking about. Then you're gonna roll this. Wait, what do I do now? I roll, roll it. it into and then another half. Rolling into a long stick. Oh yeah. Okay. This is a lot of rolling. Hold on, BRB. <laughs> First of all, he kept giving me so much slack. You do it then. Anyways, here's what's going on. So they go to this party, they have some small talk, and they end up leaving, and they do what you do at every single freaking party. Don't act like you've never done this before, is to look at the other person and say, yeah, let's grab dinner sometime. And then they leave. Now, Hen, she's excited. She goes back home, and she starts going back to our studio. We're just kind of seeing her day-to-day -day life when all of a sudden she hears... A knock on the door at her studio. You like that? A knock on the door at her studio, and it's freaking Mira. And she pretty much is like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Why don't you come over for dinner? It'll be like a double date. I'll cook some food. It'll be really, really good. Now, of course, Hen wanted to say no, but Mira was like, what about Friday? We're free Saturday. We're also free on Sunday. I mean, when you give someone three dates, how can you say no to all three of them? So she was like, all right, here's the plan. I'm going to say yes, but we're going to have polite but boring conversations, and she'll never invite me over again. We'll just all act like it was a good time, but because we don't click, we'll just never really hang out. But everything will be polite and squeaky clean. So she gets Lloyd. They end up at the house, and it's just as boring as you imagine. They're sitting around the coffee table eating some little finger foods, they eat some dinner, they're just talking about um, like politics, the neighborhood, being a history teacher, and finally, as they're about to leave, you know, Hen had mentioned, Mira, I really love your decorations in the house, and that's when Mira got excited, and she said, why don't I give you a tour? So they start touring the entire house, going room from room, and Mira's like, oh, well, this one I got from here, this one I got from this artist, you know, you love art, so let me, let me talk to you about art. And finally, in the, like, the downstairs room, there's an office, and this was the last room in their tour, and this is the only room that was not white furniture, just not plain. It had these dark green walls with these bookshelves on bookshelves, and it just seemed really homey. There was this massive Persian rug, in the middle of the floor and she walked in and they said it was Matthew's office. When you look at Matthew, he's kind of like looking around as if like people are staring at his underwear drawer. Almost as if like, whoa, this is like super intimate. Like not as if you just showed them your office. Like he's triggered? Like he feels like, whoa, this is like really intimate right now. Like it feels um kind of triggering. But also we yes. got a boba. How is it? Can I see it? Can I judge it? You want to judge my boss? Yes! Eat it. No, honey! <laughs> They're smaller than I thought they'd be. <laughs> so that's when she's going through his office. She's giving it the same details. This time, Hen was actually intrigued by this room because it wasn't just modern. It had character and a personality. And right above the fireplace, there's this mantle where he's, he has these like decorations on the mantle. And one of these decorations happened to be a little trophy, a tiny little fencing trophy with someone mid-lunge. It's a fencer. And it said Junior Olympics. And Hen's entire face, her entire aura, everything changed about her. And everyone noticed. Even her husband was like, Hen, what's wrong? Like, are you okay? Did something happen? Like, or do you feel faint? Like, what's going on? And she just felt like she couldn't breathe. She was like, is this the, tr no, there's no way that this is his trophy. And she looked over at Matthew, who noticed her looking at it. And she said, 
do you fence? And he said, oh God, no, I bought that at a yard sale. And so everyone's just like, are you okay? And Hen didn't know she was overthinking it, but she just kept feeling like the rest of the time before they left the house, now Matthew was intently watching her after that moment with the little trophy of the fencing trophy. And her husband was worried about her. They end up leaving and she lays in bed. She doesn't talk to her husband about the fencing trophy and she can't help but think that doesn't make sense. I mean, there's gotta be tons of fencing trophies out there, right? But, but is it a coincidence that Matthew is a teacher at Sussex Hall and that's where Dustin Miller went to high school? So you're like, who the fork is Dustin Miller? And before you can even find out, now we get to Matthew's point of view. Now this author loves doing point of view switches. I remember with uh, The Kind Worth Killing, there were so many different aspects of perspective. You see like the same scene play over in two different perspectives, but we see Matthew's perspective. And after the dinner party, he can't just help but think like, well, why was she so obsessed with that trophy? I mean, that was really risky of him putting it there, wasn't it? I mean, how, how cocky and arrogant is that? I mean, do you think that she made the connection? There's no way. How do you make a connection from something like that? He kept trying to read the inscription and you can't read anyone's name, but it felt like she knew that it belonged to Dustin Miller. So now we're like, okay, who the fork is Dustin Miller and what happened? And the whole time Matthew's sitting in his office after they leave and he just seems incredibly frustrated that now he has to throw away his most prized possessions because Hen noticed them on the counters. D does this mean that he has to throw away his trophy? Does this mean that he has to throw away the cigarette lighter inside of his desk like that's infuriating the one that belonged to bob shirley inside of his desk i mean i guess that's what it means and so he gets the trophy he opens the desk drawer and gets the cigarette lighter that used to be owned by a bob shirley wipes off his prints throws them into a cardboard box and the next morning he wakes up on a sunday and tells his wife that he's gonna go in to work and do some lesson plans so he grabs this big like cardboard box filled with some trophies and old textbooks to make it look believable and he drove to sussex hall the private school where he teaches and he put it into the basement storage no one would ever connect it to him now because I mean, so many different teachers have access to this basement. His name's not on there. None of his prints are on there anymore. This is the perfect place. So as he's going back to his classroom to like finish up some lessons plans, he runs into a Michelle. Like I said, there's tons of characters. So from now on, I'm gonna say Hen, Hen's husband, Matthew, Matthew's wife. And we've got Michelle, who is also a history teacher at Sussex Hall. And the thing about Michelle is that she recently started teaching and the kids, they kind of bully her. They make her cry. She just doesn't have control over the classroom. You know how some teachers, when you walk in the door, you immediately know you can't fork around. If they say no eating in their classroom, you can't be eating in their classroom. Whereas some teachers, I mean, you can kind of get away with doing a lot. And she was one of those teachers. So Matthew had kind of taken Michelle under his wing and taught her like with this kid, you've got to punish him like this and then he'll stop making fun of you in class. You know, all of that jazz. Now, the only thing that's really important to Michelle is that she is dating a guy by the name of Scott and Scott is an absolute asshole. He is not a teacher. He's actually a band member. He has his own band called Sea Beams and he's constantly cheating on Michelle. So Michelle, she's not only struggling with work because the kids won't listen to her, but every single day she comes into work telling Matthew about how she suspects that her boyfriend is cheating on her. And Matthew is just sitting there listening to Michelle the whole time and it just sounds like a miserable life. So that's pretty much his perspective. And now we get back to Hen because we're trying to figure out who the hell is Dustin Miller. I'm going to be using this mic because I think maybe the audio quality is gonna be better. Get it together, Stephanie. So anyways, 
Penn starts Googling Dustin Miller's homicide all over again, and she's becoming obsessed. So this, this murder took place two and a half years ago. Dustin Miller was murdered inside of his own home, and it's very suspicious. There was no signs of a break-in, so it seems like, you know what law enforcement always says, it seems like the victim knew the killer because they were let into the house, presumably. There was only three things stolen from the house, so it didn't seem like this massive robbery because Dustin Miller, I mean, he came from a wealthy family. There was most likely tons tons of nice things inside of his house but they only took a wallet a laptop and a fencing trophy a junior olympics fencing trophy this fencing trophy was not made of gold it was not gold plated it didn't even it didn't even look good it just it's a junior olympics it's like a fencing trophy that you would get in high school not even like an olympic medal like it's not an oscar it's not a grammy like why would you steal that what how to get away with murder yes but that's not how he was killed. Oh, okay. Because the way that he was killed, he was sitting on a recliner in his living room. He was taped to the chair and there was a paper bag on top of his head and wrapped in duct tape. So he was asphyxiated. He was suffocated to death, which by the way is like a really odd way to die. I mean, I, we, we do true crime cases. The plastic bag with the duct tape is it's kind of rare. And then to like leave them in that situation, also incredibly rare. And so she becomes obsessed with this for multiple reasons. First of all, she saw Dustin Miller's body getting pulled out of his house in a body bag. She lived on the same street as him. So like any other neighbor, I mean, you might be curious about how did my neighbor get murdered? Am I next? Like what's going on? What's going on in this neighborhood? But she became so obsessive. She read every single press release, every single article, every single single Facebook post that he had ever written all of that he's just she's just reading over and over and over again and she had moments like this before this wasn't the first time that she became obsessed with something crime related I know all of us are sitting here like oh fuck me. <laughs> but when she was in college, something really, really bad happened. Hen went to college um, in, I believe it was called like Camden, but she was studying fine arts. She was like a freshman. She was like, ooh, this is gonna be amazing. Like my life is starting now. That's what they say. College is like the beginning of everything. And she starts making some friends. There was this one girl named Sarah that she was close with. She was also a freshman. And one day the flu starts going around. But Sarah, her friend, gets incredibly sick, like so sick, so much sicker than everybody else. And she's like, oh my God, I'm gonna go home for the rest of the semester. Like I, I am taking a semester break because I'm that sick. And everyone thought that was weird. I mean, it's a flu. Everyone else is getting better. Why don't you just stick it out for like a week and then stay on campus? Why would you drop an entire semester just because you're a little bit sick? So of course, all of these rumors start happening on college campus and people are saying, well, you know her, her roommate, Daphne. I heard Daphne is real dump truck Dumbass. I don't know. I was going to say something with the D. Like Daphne, she would keep the windows open in the middle of the night in order to make Sarah sicker. She wanted the room to herself. She didn't want her roommate around. And so she thought if my roommate gets that sick, she'll leave. So there was this small little rumor and everyone just kind of hee hee ha ha at the rumor and didn't think anything of it except for Hen. She became obsessed. She was like, oh my God. I always knew something was wrong with Daphne. I always knew Daphne was a killer. I mean, look at her, she's blonde, she's fit, she's a psychology major. It only makes sense that she's a psychopath and a killer. So she starts following Daphne, she starts stalking Daphne, and then one day Daphne comes up to her and tries to make small talk and she's like, that's suspicious. Why is she trying to befriend me? Is she trying to kill me next? Does she know I know the truth about her? Is that what's going on? 
all of that. I mean, she's just getting real upset with this. So then she's sitting there and she's like, all right, I need to do something. Then Daphne comes up to her again and says, listen, I think I'm going to go from a psychology major to a fine arts major. What kind of professors do you recommend? So now Hen's like, oh my God, this bitch is, she is now threatening me. She's threatening me. So she goes to the dean, she goes to the police, and she tells them everything, that Daphne is this cold-hearted killer, and she is going to kill people on campus, and it's so dangerous, we need to get her out of here. Now, of course, she's hysterically crying, and the police and the dean and the school staff, they're just looking at her like, I think you're having a psychotic breakdown. Like, I think, I think college is maybe a little bit too much of a shocker right now. We need to call your parents, because they need to come pick you up. Something's going on. So when she hears this, she decides to take fate into her own hands before her mom gets to the college campus and she grabs a rock. And she throws this rock through Daphne's window, shatters the glass, and she starts running through the shattered glass. She's like, I'm gonna run into Daphne's room and just like tackle Daphne to the ground. So she starts tackling Daphne. All the other students, they get her off of Daphne and her mom comes and she has to be taken into a psychiatric ward for 10 days where she is diagnosed with bipolar disorder. So at this point, Daphne's pressing charges. I don't blame her, to be honest. So Daphne is like, listen, I, I'm pressing charges. This is aggravated assault. Like, what's going on? Why are you doing this? Why are you attacking me? And the judge, the judge says, listen, if you plead guilty, if you, Hen, plead guilty, you promise to get some psychiatric care, you do some volunteer hours, and you promise to transfer to a different college, then I will seal the court records. So she pleads guilty. Now, before is the, the... Is that yeah. the meds that she's taking? Yes, for her bipolar disorder. She is on a cocktail of, like, antidepressants and some other things. Mm -hmm. um, Anti-hallucinogenic, you get it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, she said that the records were sealed, but, but not until a couple reporters said, cat fight at college almost tens deadly like you know those you know those titles we know those titles so there's a couple of those on the internet that's what happened in college she transferred to a college in new york she got better she got on these meds she didn't know that she had this disorder and she was working on taking care of herself and that's when she really got into art she meets lloyd they get married and he knew about everything like she wasn't trying to hide anything from him he knew about what happened in college he knew about her mental health all of that jazz now after they get married this is when she becomes obsessed with dustin's miller's murder i mean they live on the same street and he started getting worried he started saying hey is this kind of like the same feeling that you had in college like should I be worried? And this triggered her even more. Anytime he said the word manic or episode, it felt like she was going down another hole where she just had, she had to for the next three months, just pour herself into thinking about the unsolved murders in Massachusetts to see if there's any connection with Dustin Miller's murder. And um, eventually she had to be in a psychiatric ward for two weeks. She got a new cocktail of meds. She was also put on electroshock therapy, which made her kind of forget a lot of the stuff that happened. It's just kind of hazy to her. So now she's going through all of these articles again, refreshing her memory on the case. And this is when she sees something that she doesn't recall if she knew. I mean, she had to have known because this is such a big thing. But there is a record, there's a press release talking about how Dustin Miller was once accused of sexually assaulting a fellow teenager, a fellow high schooler at Sussex Hall High School, which is where Matthew teaches, which is where he got that fencing trophy, Dustin Miller. But not only that, the press release confides that this assault, this alleged assault took place at a fencing tournament. She's like, okay, now I have a theory. She's thinking to herself, maybe Matthew is a teacher at this high school. He found out about these allegations five years later after 
after he already graduates, he's gonna go kill him. But why? I mean, that doesn't make sense. I mean, I guess it makes sense. Maybe it's like revenge. Maybe maybe he assaulted a student that was related to Matthew. Like, what, what's going on? There's got to be a connection here. She just needs to confirm. Before she can even call the police, she has to confirm that this is Dustin Miller's trophy. And she needs to read that inscription on the trophy. Because can you imagine calling the cops on your neighbor and you're wrong? What are you going to do? Are you going to move? Are you going to sell your house? You've got to. I mean, there's no going back at that point. So she's like, I need to make sure. We just moved in here. We just closed on this house. So she's thinking about all of that. Meanwhile, Matthew's perspective. He gets home from work. He lays in bed. He said that this is his favorite time, is when his wife falls asleep within 10 minutes of hitting her head on the pillow, and he stays up all night reliving his best memories. You guessed it, his murders. So this is when he confirms that he's a serial killer. But not for the reasons that you think. So he starts reliving the murder of Bob Shirley. That's the one that the cigarette lighter was owned by. And he had brought him to this apartment in New Jersey that his wife has no idea about. And he had gotten on top of his chest and started strangling him. And it was just such a satisfying feeling. And now he was thinking about maybe killing his colleague's boyfriend, Scott. Remember Michelle, his fellow history teacher who is um, being cheated on by her boyfriend that he's never met? He would be a good candidate to be murdered, he kept thinking to himself. Mm -hmm. And then he starts thinking, well, why don't we think about Dustin Miller? It's an old one, but it's a goodie. It happened three years ago. And Dustin Miller was one of his students in freshman year of high school. And he hated Dustin Miller. I mean, Dustin Miller came from a wealthy family. He was one of those dudes that's like a predator, but has this angel baby face. And everyone's like, he's just a kid. And you're like, he's fucking 22 and just assaulted five women. But they're like, but he's just a kid. He's just learning. Boys will be boys. He looks like one of those. And he was, he just never really liked Dustin Miller as a teacher. Like this guy was not smart. He was an asswipe. He used his parents' power and money to get everything in life and just not his cup of tea. So one day, one of his star students, Courtney, she decided to join the fencing team. Courtney is the type of student where she's really, really shy. Like she will, she's really smart, but she will save all of her questions for the end of the class so that she can ask the teacher because she is that terrified of even like asking the question in front of the rest of the class because people are really, really mean in high school. And he really liked Courtney. He almost felt protective of Courtney. So she decides to join the fencing club and they go on to a fencing tournament and that is when they the kids were drinking and dustin miller hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. R worded Courtney at this fencing tournament in the hotels because, you know, the fencing team went away. And she came back and told the police, she told the um, dean, she told everyone. And a lot of the teachers were divided. A lot of them said, well, we can't ruin this young man's life over an allegation. They were underage drinking, all of that. But but Matthew, he fucking knew. He said Dustin Miller is the type of dude who would do that. He knew it deep down that Dustin Miller did, in fact, 
assault Courtney. There was no denying it, but what can he do? So for the next five years after he graduated, he saw all over Dustin Miller's, you know, Facebook page that he went to Boston College, he graduated from college, now he's staying at this like uppity apartment that his parents for sure paid for. And he decided, you know what? This kid is straight up posting where he lives. Like I can just look out the window and see the street sign. Like I know where this kid lives. So this was the perfect time. So he starts stalking Dustin Miller five years after the allegations. And he lives alone. He sees that he's constantly going to the Village Inn, which is a local bar, and he follows him to the bar one day and decides, I'm gonna get to his house before him. And the next series of events, he said, are like a stroke of luck, like just extraordinary luck. He was able to climb to Dustin Miller's balcony, and the back door was empty. Of course it was, because when you're a predator, are you that worried about other predators predatoring you? No. So the predator left his back door open, and so he climbed in through the back door, and started looking around, memorized the layout of the house, and then went under Dustin Miller's bed to hide. So we just put the boba into the water to boil for 20 minutes, and during that time, my fiance told me, you could have never done it without me, cause his arms are sore. And I just wanna say, I hate all men, but when he makes me, okay, sorry. <laughs> makes me boba, makes me boba. Don't get it twisted, it's a TikTok sound. Anyway, so he's hiding under the bed. Dustin Miller stumbles into the house. He's super, super wasted, and he just starts peeing he's hiding under the bed listening to everything and finally he goes into his living room and he tries to turn on the TV and after an hour of waiting Matthew crawls out from the darkness of underneath the bed and approaches Dustin who is now passed out in his living room couch and he's got a stun gun he's got a taser he's got um, a bunch of tape he's got a bunch of other things hidden and he starts taping his legs to the footrest of the sofa. And that's when Dustin wakes up, he tases him, and he starts taping up his arms, taping up his head, his like neck to the couch, and then finally he puts a paper bag around Dustin Miller's head, tapes that up, and says, this is for Courtney, and watched him slowly asphyxiate to death on the couch. So after he did that, he looked around and decided he was going to steal his laptop, steal his wallet, and those were just mainly to throw off the investigators, but he wanted something. He wanted a trophy, literally, for what he just did, because he was proud. He likes killing people. He likes watching the life go out of their eyes. He thinks that they deserve it, so he enjoyed it. So what could he do? He looked around, and he finds the trophy. Now, this trophy meant a lot to him because this one was won at the tournament that Courtney was r-worded at so it means it means a lot so he takes the trophy and he leaves and no one ever knew it was him so meanwhile we have hen who's like i need to figure out what that trophy says so she decides to go walk over to her next door neighbor's house and just knock on the door her whole thing was that she didn't have a thing she didn't have a plan she thought maybe if they're not home i can try to see if they have an unlocked door maybe if they are home you know what i'll do i'm gonna ask mira for another tour because i love her decorating so much so i'm gonna say can i can i just see the rest of your house because we just moved in i need to decorate then she's gonna show me every single room and in every single room i'm gonna go oh my god over every single detail so naturally when we get to the office it wouldn't be weird for me to you know inspect the trophy because I've just inspected everything else inside of her house 
yeah, that's what I'm going to do. So she knocks on the door, and sure enough, Mira is home alone. And Mira says, oh, like, I have a business trip later tonight, but I, I'm not leaving for the airport for a while. So yeah, let me give you a tour. She starts giving her a tour. Starts at the top floor and just working their way down. She's like, I'm never going to get to see this office. She is giving me every single detail about everything. Finally, they get to the office. The door opens, and she pretends this to naturally just scan the room again. But her eyes go straight to the fireplace, and the trophy is missing. Uh-oh. Now, she can't straight up ask where the trophy is because at the dinner party, I mean, people saw her kind of get weird after seeing it and asked about the fencing. So she just is like, huh, that's strange, and just keeps looking around. And she rushes home, and she knew that he knew that she knew. I mean, that's that's all that the, she can say. It's kind of a scary thing, but so she rushes she, home. So does she, like, suspect something from him? She thinks he's the killer. Oh, okay. Yeah, for sure, for yeah, sure. Okay. And he knows that she thinks that he's the killer. So it's just like this really weird cat and mouse game. Now entering in another pivotal part of the story, a man by the name of Richard, who is Matthew's brother, Matthew's younger brother. Now Richard and Mira do not get along. They've never gotten along. Like in the beginning, maybe they did. They could be in the same room together, but not anymore. I mean, they just cannot be in the same place. And Matthew understands because Richard is just like his dad. His dad is incredibly abusive, physically a violent. He's sadistic and he always, always violent beat their mother in front of the two kids and Richard for some reason felt like that's just what boys do that's just what it is to be a man and Richard kind of ended up like his dad whereas Matthew kind of ended up like his mom and maybe that's why we see that Matthew has such a strong distaste against men who hurt women because he was on his mom's side the whole time growing up he felt like his mom deserved better but his dad would constantly beat her up now Richard he wasn't really on his mom's side so Richard never comes around when Mira's around because I mean he just doesn't even want to deal with that fight so every time she's on a business trip he finds out and he comes over to the house and he's just like a low life he doesn't have a job he doesn't have money Matthew is financially supporting him and he just cannot help himself every time he comes around they get into some sort of fight so this time after Mira leaves for her um, business trip he comes around and he starts talking about I don't know how you do it I don't know how you do it Matthew I drove by the little um, your little high school the other day and I saw the cheerleaders practicing and geez I don't know how you do it it's crazy and he's like, those are, those are children. They're my students. What is wrong with you? And he's like, I'm just saying, you know, shorts look good on everyone. What? And he's like, all right. So you're just creepy. Just, just like his dad. That's how he describes him. Just like his dad. And he's like, shut the fork up, Richard. And Richard's like, you know, and I saw your new neighbor too. And she was working on the porch. And I'm pretty sure I saw her undies. She could get it. And he's like, that's, what is wrong with you? Like, he's just like, all right, get out of my house. Like, just leave. Like, you came here for free food. That, just get out now. And he kicks Richard out. And now we can see that these brothers are going to probably get into hella fights later on. Meanwhile, Hen is sitting there contemplating whether she should call the police now that the trophy is missing. And instead of calling them, she decides to finally confide in Lloyd. So they're eating dinner and she tells him, hey, remember that time we came over to our neighbor's house like a couple days ago? Well, let me give you the lowdown on the trophy. So she runs him through this entire thing. And the only thing that he can come up with is he's trying to stay calm, but she can kind of tell that he's more worried about her mental health, her sanity, than the actual crime itself. She's like, hello? Why are you not worried that our neighbor is a murderer? Why are you wor more worried about my beds and if I'm taking them? Like, don't be like that. And he just says, well, that'd be a crazy coincidence. And she's like, what? A crazy coincidence that his student, you know, R-worded another student, and then five years later he killed her or killed him? That's not, that's not really a coincidence. 
No, I'm just saying it'd be a crazy coincidence that we lived on the same street as the victim, and then now we live right next door to the murderer. I mean, that's a crazy coincidence, don't you think? I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess, but I mean, it's all, it's all in Massachusetts. It's not like it's five states away, but yeah, I mean, is that what you're thinking about? Like, wh what should I do? Meanwhile, Matthew is taking the opportunity while his wife is out of town to go stalk his next murder victim. And he thinks that it should be his co-worker's boyfriend, Scott, who runs the band called Sea Beams. So he Googles where they're playing that weekend and he goes to watch them. He tells Michelle, like, I'm gonna go check out your boyfriend's band. He goes to the bar, orders some drinks, and he just wants to know for sure if he's a cheater because Michelle, she's heartbroken. She's always complaining about it. Like, I think he's cheating, he's being suspicious, and he just wants an answer for her. Maybe Michelle should move on to someone else, or maybe she's not getting the right, you know, the right impression. So he starts watching the band, and it's just whatever. The band is okay. And then afterwards, after everyone starts leaving the bar, he gets into his car and he moves it from in the main center of the parking lot to the darkest corner of the parking lot towards the back, where most of the bandmates and the staff members, they park, and most of the cars are gone. So now he's parked there and he's stooped inside of his seat so no one can see him in the dark. And he's watching. And he watches the bandmates come out, the staff are closing up, and he's like, all right, maybe he's gonna leave alone. Bloop, bloop, bloop. <laughs> I look really, really good. Look Thank you for making all of this. I know it was supposed to be me doing it, but... Oh, that's okay. You're never going to be able to do this. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay, so now you let the bobas soak into this sugar, um, water. sugar water mixture Brown to sugar. soak in that flavor. Look at that mixture. That looks really good. Look at that boba mixture. That look. looks really good. Look, just boba and sugar. Here. Boba and sugar. Boba milk tea, there you go. Thank you so much. <laughs> so anyways, he's inside of the car watching Scott, the bandmate, get out. And there's this blonde girl. They're always blonde is in the book. Not me, okay? The blonde girl wearing like this tight little dress is all over him. She seems like a groupie. And then eventually, eventually, she leaves. So he's thinking to himself, okay, like maybe he is going home alone. Maybe, maybe Michelle, my coworker, is mistaken and Scott is just kind of flirtatious but is not cheating on her. And he goes and he sits in his car and then all of a sudden the waitress comes out, gets into his passenger seat and they drive off. So of course, Matthew's gonna follow them because he wants confirmation that they're gonna do it. He wants to see them cheat because this is not confirmation enough. What if he's just driving her home, being a nice person, being a nice guy? We don't know. So he starts following her. And then immediately the next chapter, we get Hen's perspective. And she's sitting in her car in the middle of the night thinking to herself, who is Matthew watching? Why is he stooped down in his car? So we now know that she had followed him. Oh. And now she's following him, following Scott. But she doesn't know who Scott is. She doesn't know any of this. She's like, what, why is he here in the middle of the night? What's going on? So she starts following Matthew. Now we've got Scott, we've got Matthew, and she's following him. So they start driving, driving, driving. Apparently they get to this apartment building and they get out of the car, they go in. Matthew, he gets out of his car and he starts kind of like looking through their windows and stuff. So she sees him looking through their windows and she doesn't try to get closer. She thinks, maybe I should head home now. Maybe that's enough. Now he's mixing some condensed milk with some regular milk to get it extra sweet. Look at that thickums. Ooh, look at that pour. 
So she's like, why was he following them? That doesn't make any sense. Now, Matthew, on the other hand, sees them cheating and sees them absolutely doing it. So now he has confirmation that his coworker's boyfriend is cheating on his coworker. So the next um, part of this book, for some odd, strange reason, is just centered around Columbus Day weekend. I don't know. It's not my favorite holiday. I don't even know when it is in the year but Columbus Day weekend, so here we go. So Hen decides, finally, she's gonna call the cops. I mean, she can't wait any longer. She has to, this is the only thing she can do. So instead of just calling the police station, she gets smart about it. She calls the detective that was working on Dustin Miller's homicide, and she gets in contact with him, and she starts telling him all the details. I mean, she's going through the whole thing. She's like, listen, he's my neighbor, I saw the trophy. He is a guilty ass little killer. And he's like, all right, um, I can definitely look into this lead. What did you say his name was? And what did you say his connection was? Okay, so he is a teacher at Sussex High. And she's like, yes, okay, we'll make sure it's anonymous. And he's like, don't worry about it. I will give you a follow-up. And she's like, oh, thank God. So the next day, Matthew opens the front door because there was a knock and sure enough, it's detective and he lets him in and he's like what's this about and he immediately knew in his gut feeling that hen had called the cops on him i mean it's obvious and so they sit down and he's just asking him questions it's just it's just some questioning his name came up in the story of dustin miller that is a you know it's not it's not a cold case there's still it's an open case so let's talk about it and he says i don't really know what there's to talk about dustin was not really a remarkable student and he's like well tell me more about that i mean if you're a teacher, you only remember the really, really good students or the really, really bad ones. And everyone in the middle, you just don't really remember them. So, I mean, I know that I think that I had a class with him and I, I knew because he was on the news because he died. But other than that, I don't really remember anything. So you don't remember the allegations of the R word that was happening when he was in your high school. Oh, yeah, I mean, I do. I remember like we were talking about it in the back rooms a lot, but you know, I think it's one of those things that they were both drinking, they were both young, and I, we didn't have the full story, so it just felt bad to ruin an entire young man's life over, over an allegation like that if we didn't know exactly what happened. And the detective was like, my man! I'm kidding. He was like, yeah, makes sense, makes sense. And he just leaves. What's up with that mentality? Why do they always say like, oh, ruin a young man's life yeah because but they are the one that's ruining other people's life what are you yeah, saying exactly say it louder for the people in the back and so he says that and the cop was like good shit, good shit. i'm out of here it's my lunch break i'm kidding the cop is really nice later on but he leaves and he doesn't even ask to look around i mean obviously he didn't have a search warrant but usually guilty people or innocent people will probably say yes which side note don't say yes just even if you're innocent, don't say yes. And so Matthew, he's kind of he's kind of weirded out by this. He knows that Hen called the cops on him, so he starts Googling Hen's name and he starts looking at all the art. He at one point forgets that he's even Googling her for this purpose because he falls so entranced by her art pieces. I mean she has such a sick and twisted style. He would just like to pick her brain one day. It's just really, really dark illustrations. And then he goes on to look at other stuff, and then he comes across this one article of catfight in college dorm room, blah 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 blah. And he starts reading into it and he's like, wow. So this girl has a history of accusing people of being murderers. She's got mental health problems. I mean, this is all gonna come in handy later because if she ever accuses him of killing someone, he just has to pull up this one article and her allegations out the window. And the police are gonna say, we can't ruin this young man's life over an allegation like this. And it'll just be so easy peasy. But something about this, Matthew couldn't help but feel some sort of excitement 
that Hen really knew who he was. Like, he was just kind of giddy. The fact that he was, like, there was a part of him that he had been hiding for so long, but now finally someone knows that he kills people. So now this part is all about Columbus Day weekend. I'm telling you, it's weird. So Matthew finds out that Michelle is going out of town to take care of her sick dad for Columbus Day weekend, and Scott is not going because Scott needs to perform for the Sea Beams this weekend. And he's like, this is perfect. Matthew then goes home to his wife and says, hey, wifey, what are you doing for Columbus Day weekend? Why don't I book us a hotel a couple towns over? We'll drive there. It's like a short hour drive. We'll have bar. We'll have drinks at the bar. We'll have dinner at the hotel, and maybe we can take a It'll just be like this loving getaway and she was like, yeah, that sounds great. Meanwhile in Hen's house Hen's husband is like, hey, are we going to the bonfire that my fraternity brother used to have every single Columbus Day weekend? That's a really weird annual tradition and she's like, uh, Rob's bonfire? Yeah, Rob's bonfire. So the thing with Hen is that she she likes Rob. I mean Rob's nice. He is he used to be frat brothers with um, her husband but Rob used to have a girlfriend by the name of Joanna, and she really liked her. They got along, so every time there was a bonfire, she would sit with her, and they would talk, and they would get along, and then the boys would have their fun. But after they broke up, I mean, it's just her sitting on the side watching these dudes turn into frat bros again. Like, she's just not trying to see her husband turn into a frat bro. So she tells her husband, listen, you go by yourself. It's fine. Spend the night there. I know you get drunk, so don't drive home. Just have a good time. I'm going to be home. So he says, okay. So Columbus Day weekend comes around. Michelle goes to take care of his sick brother and Hen starts Googling about um, the sea beams because she remembered the place that she followed Matthew to recently. The sea beams were performing. So does this have anything to do with it? I don't know, let's find out. So she finds where they're performing, goes to their next you know, performance at a bar. And Matthew, on the other hand, drives his wife to the hotel and they start eating prime ribs. I mean, they're like doing the most. They're at the hotel restaurant eating good. Drinks after drinks after drinks. Now, side note, Matthew's husband is an incredible lightweight, but they were having a good time and he would just say, you know, it's our only time to let loose. So by the time that they got back into their hotel room, I mean, she was wasted. She was ready to pass out, not trying to take a bath. She would not remember any of this. So he tucks her into the hotel bedroom and he grabs his getaway bag, leaves his phone because he had memorized the directions from the hotel to the bar where the sea beams are performing, and he makes the drive. So once he gets there, his wife is sleeping in the hotel. He goes to Scott's car that he recognizes from the previous night and stabs his tire. So that by the time when he leaves, his tire's not gonna be working. So he waits, he waits for the band to perform. He waits for all of that. And then finally, he sees Scott alone in his car. The same waitress that he had cheated on last week. Oh, that's a good tea. So the same waitress that he had cheated on last week was with him again. So she's waiting inside the restaurant. He's packing it up, goes to his car, looks at the tire and he's cursing out loud. He's like, man, I gotta get my spare tire with a fork. And all of a sudden, he comes up behind him and Matthew bonks him on the head. And Scott falls to the ground, just like in the dark parking lot. And then Matthew bonks him again on the same part of the head. And this time he hears like a crack noise. And he feels good about it. And he's about to run away when he looks up and he makes direct eye contact with a woman. Now we get Hen's perspective, okay? So Hen had just spent the night watching the sea beams perform. She got super drunk, she was drinking on drinks, she didn't see Matthew come in at all, so she was like, all right, maybe it had nothing to do with the sea beams. And she goes into her car and she realizes, holy cow, I'm too drunk to drive home right now. Like, I'm gonna get into an accident. So she decided to just stand outside her car and get some fresh air in the dark parking lot. And that was when she saw 
Matthew come up behind Scott and bonk him on the head twice. Who does that in the public yeah. parking lot? Yeah, uh, yeah. Meanwhile, me thinking about like five different true crime cases. <laughs> and so she sees that they make eye contact and Matthew runs away. She starts screaming. She rushes to Scott. She calls 911. She starts screaming for all the staff to come out and they come out and the police come and she says, help, help. I need to make an official statement. I know who murdered Scott. So the next morning, sure enough, Matthew and her, his wife were pulled into the police station and he knew that he was safe because he knew that his wife would never talk about how they were drinking last night. I mean, she's a very like put together woman. She's not the type that's like, oh yeah, I was so wasted. I don't remember shit. She's like the type that's like, yeah, we just enjoyed a nice night at the hotel nothing bad happened. And so he what? thought everything was going to be good. By the time that he got back, she was so passed out that there was no indication that he ever left the hotel. Mm -hmm. So why would you think that he left, drove three towns over to murder a man that he has no connection with? Like, it just doesn't make sense to the wife, right? She would never even think of that. So when they question him, he's got an airtight alibi. And his lawyer comes and his lawyer's like, well, Matthew, do you have any enemies that would think that you could murder someone that want to frame you for murder, essentially? And he says, well, let me tell you about my neighbor. And he tells his attorney about the neighbor who had accused her college, you know, freshman dorm room mate of all of these atrocious things. And now she's doing it again to him this time. And the lawyer's like, well, you need to tell all of this to the police. So he tells the police all about it. He says, you can look it up. I mean, I'm sure it's in records. I don't know if it's sealed, but she, she did this with her college friends. She accused them of murder. And she's doing the same thing to me. I just don't know what to tell you. And so they let him go. So he goes home with his wife and he tells his wife the same thing. And she's like, oh my God. The day after the dinner party, she came over when you were, when you were gone, when you were at school. And she, she wanted to see the whole house. Do you think she was trying to plant evidence on you? <gasps> that bitch, like she's just pissed. And he's like, it's okay, babe. Like we'll figure it out. This is a butterfly pea flower tea. It's so pretty. It's so pretty. Whoa! Can you see that color? That's so pretty. So we've got some black tea. We've got some butterfly tea. Butterfly. Butterfly tea. tea. And then we've got some big tit teas. <laughs> so at this point, you know, they're free to go. Matthew's telling his wife about all of the things that he found out about Hen. And the police are now questioning Hen. Like, we, we know about what happened in your college days. Are you, do you think it's happening again? And she's like, no, I'm not having a psychotic breakdown. And the police straight up tell her, well, isn't one of the key things about having a psychotic breakdown is that you yourself are unaware that you are having a psychotic breakdown usually? So they let her go too. Now this is when Lloyd, even Lloyd, her husband, the one that's supposed to be in her corner doesn't even believe her. He keeps telling her the shit that I hate the most. I believe that you believe that you saw Matthew murder her, but, <laughs> but I don't believe it cause you a lying asshole. That's pretty much what he said. Um, leave him, drop his ass, divorce. So that's what's going on with Hen. Now Mira, this is the first time that we get Mira's point of view. This is Matthew's wife and she keeps thinking to herself like that crazy bitch, like I can't believe she would do this. I mean, I knew that there, she told me that she had depression and all these other things and that she took meds, but I didn't know that she was this unhinged. Like why would she accuse us, like some random neighbors of murder? And she can't get this voice out of her head. But Mira, you know that she's not crazy, right? And she's like, no, no, she's crazy. I know she's crazy. No, no, mm -hmm, no. God, why did I get so drunk? If I wasn't drunk, I, I, I knew. I know that he was there all night in the hotel. He would not drive over to kill this random guy. 
Why did I get so drunk? Because your husband told you to get drunk? And she's like fighting this voice in her head that's like making her feel a little bit uncomfortable about all of this. So she has a voice in her head that believes the husband is suspicious. Just like suspicious. You know, she can't, like she's a smart girl. She's like, I can't shake this. And she's thinking, no, 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 he would never. But remember that one time that you guys did it? So there was this one time that Matthew was having, you know, doing the dirty with his wife. And this was, they were trying something new. She was wearing these stockings that he bought for her. And she thought it was fun. It was very, like, sexy. And then she turned around and saw his face. And she had never seen his face like that. It was just like this evil, soulless, disgusted face. He looked disgusted with her or something. And before she could even say anything, he turned bright red, he looked really embarrassed, and then went to go shower. And then they never talked about it again. No, but he would never kill people. That doesn't even sound like someone who kills people. But what about Jay? Okay, no, we're not gonna think about Jay. So who's we're like, Jay? I don't know. Oh. So we're like, who's Jay? Did he murder Jay? So now we also get Richard's point of view for the first time. This is Matthew's brother, and we kind of see their upbringing through Richard's lens. And he always said that Matthew was like a mama's boy, and he wasn't really into his mom. Richard, on the other hand, really loved his dad because his dad would go on to these vacations where he would sleep with other women. He would bring back their like undies and give it to young Richard, and they would be bloodied up. So they weren't um they were not like. I just bought them at the store. Like the, there was heavy signs of abuse. And he would say, oh, can't wait. Like bring it down to dinner so we can show your mom together about what dad has been up to this weekend. Like incredibly abusive. There's also a story about how the dad used to make the mom eat on all fours like a dog on the floor in front of her own two children. Like it was just really alarming stuff. This is more than alarming. Yeah. I mean, okay, yeah, but like, you know what I mean. I mean, it's fictional, so I'm saying alarming. And so Richard would say that his favorite was when his dad would come home and give him these gifts. This time around, this specific story, he gave him um, like adult magazines as a gift and stuff at a young age, and he was just so excited because, wow, he's seeing all this cool stuff. Like, he just loves dad, and Matthew, he'll never understand the joy of, you know, reading stuff like this. He's just like mom. And they always got into these little riffs. Now, Richard has his own problems. Richard starts stalking women. So now we know, like, this guy is evil. Not only did he make those really gross remarks about Matthew's, like, students, but he's an evil guy. He starts stalking this woman who's a yoga teacher and finds out her Instagram. She she does hashtag girl boss, hashtag the future is female, all of these things. She does hashtag yoga. He finds out where she lives. He follows her from work to her house, finds out what apartment number she lives in, finds out what parking space she lives in, finds out her full name. And he just feels like he owns her now because at any point he could go in and he could kill her. But it's just too easy. There's just something about it that's just too easy these days. You just find someone on social media and you find out their address and you could just kill them. I mean, that's not fun. And he starts reading the news about Scott's murder, and he knows something's fishy about it. He thinks it's his brother, Matthew. Matthew has his own dark side. He, the whole thing with Richard is like he's annoyed because Matthew acts like he's so much better than him. But he goes around killing people. So, I mean, we were raised by the same people. What do you mean you're better than me? Why are you better than me? You're not better than me. And he starts reading about it, and he realizes that Scott's girlfriend, according to the papers, is a Michelle Brine who works at Sussex Hall. So to him, this is like bingo. My brother did this, nobody else, you know? Mm. This has got to be my brother. And so he starts looking up Michelle Bryan. She has no Facebook, she has no Instagram, she has no like TikTok, nothing. She just has like a LinkedIn. And then he realizes this is what he was looking for. A girl who is not too easy to trace. Someone who doesn't even know that she's being watched.
Because, you know, if you're posting on social media, you would assume that someone's watching it. But not Michelle. Michelle's nowhere to be found online. This is the type of victim that's fun because you have to hunt them. On a side note, it would probably piss off his brother too. So finally, Matthew and Hen have a conversation again. Matthew bombards on Hen while she's working at the studio and is pretty much like, hey, I'd love to talk to you. And she says, no, you're gonna kill me. And he says, no, 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 I'm not gonna kill you. I don't kill women. And she's like, what? But you did kill Scott and you did kill Dustin Miller. And he says, yes, I killed them. And so now she's shook, but he ends up leaving because she kicks him out of the studio. She's scared. And she keeps thinking about it like, man, should I talk to him? Like for some reason, she can't shake the fact that she does feel kind of safe with him. She doesn't feel like he's gonna kill her. So she decides, okay, I'm gonna meet him at a bar. She tells him what bar to meet at. And it's like a couple towns over. So no one in their local neighborhood is gonna see them together. And they meet at this bar and they start talking. So the first things first, he starts patting her down to see if she's wired up. He takes her phone to make sure she's not recording anything. And they start discussing everything. And he pretty much just says, I killed Dustin Miller and he freaking deserved it. And that's the tea. Like, I don't really feel bad about it. I don't know what you want me to say, but that's just what it is. And she's like, no, that's not up to you to decide. I mean, how do you even know that the allegations were true? How do you know that he actually R-worded Courtney, your other student? And he's like, because I know guys like this. This is one thing I've learned from being a teacher. Good people make mistakes and they'll still grow up to be good people. But when you have a bad student, They'll keep making mistakes, sometimes they'll do some good things, but they never really change. They're still almost always a bad person. And I knew that, you know, Dustin was just gonna be a bad person, hurting women for the rest of his life, just like my freaking dad. And she's like, but that's not up to you to decide. And he's like, well, if you had the chance to kill Ted Bundy before he becomes Ted Bundy, would you do it? And she's like, it's not really, I mean, this doesn't make any sense because there's also women who hurt men, you know? That makes sense too. Like you can't just go around killing all these men because they hurt women. And he says, but the truth is, the fact is men hurt women far more than women hurt men. So I'm just trying to take away some of the unhappiness in the world. And honestly, I don't feel guilty about it. And she's like, but none of these people that you killed are Ted Bundy. They're just maybe some shitty dudes, but they're not serial killers. Like they're not going around killing women. Like what's wrong with you? And he says, no but they're just like your husband. They go around hurting women. And she's like, what does my husband have anything to do with it? And he's like, you don't know? I'm sure you had a feeling that he's cheating on you. What? Yeah, and she's like, what? No, no. First of all, he is like the only person that has been with me throughout all of my mental health struggles. Like, okay, you're so, and she just, she's so pissed that she runs out of there. She's like, no, fork this guy. He's just trying to get me angry. He's trying to get me to do something stupid. I'm over it. She gets into the car and she's like thinking, do I call the cops? Do I call the cops? But she knows, he knows that the cops aren't going to believe her. Imagine sitting down and being like, my neighbor told me he's a serial killer. I mean, I don't have proof, but he told me at the bar. So she's like, God, this is so freaking annoying. She goes home and she's like reliving this entire conversation and that's when it triggered a memory. So that weekend that she saw Scott getting murdered by Matthew, she was so frantic that she didn't even notice that when Lloyd came home, he didn't smell like a bonfire. A bonfire is a very specific smell. It's a smell that seeps into your clothing that you just, you smell like a bonfire for days, even after you shower, even after you do the laundry. It's just a smell. And she doesn't remember that smell that day, but she remembers it every single year. Maybe it was just too hectic, she had just witnessed a murder, but he hadn't washed his clothes yet. So she runs and she rummages through the laundry basket. And sure enough, the clothes, do not have the smell. So she starts freaking out, going through his emails. She doesn't really find much, but she decides to call Rob. 
So she calls Rob, the guy who had the bonfire, and uh-huh. he picks up and he's just like, "Listen, I don't want to hear y'all's excuses. I already heard it. I already heard it from Lloyd. Don't worry. We'll see you guys next year." And she's like, "Yeah, we just had so much packing to do. I'm so sorry that we didn't make it." And he was like, "It's fine. I get it. Lloyd already told me you guys are really busy, but maybe next year for sure." And she's like, "Okay." And so, yeah, so she starts going through his computer and she finds a couple of deleted emails that she found in the spam folder of him and Joanna, Rob's ex-girlfriend, saying like, we can't do this anymore. This isn't right. So she's like freaking out about her husband. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Matthew's got some shit going on. He goes back home. And he gets a call from Michelle. And Michelle is like, hey, I'm actually, like, going to leave for the rest of the semester. Like, my boyfriend has been murdered. Um, I just don't feel good. Like, I'm just going to, they're going to have a substitute teacher fill in for me. And I, I'm going to get out of town and spend some time with my family. And he's like, oh, like, I'm so sorry about that. And she says, it's fine. I'm just, I'm just trying to look on the bright side of things. By the way, I have, like, a secret admirer. And he's like, what? And she's like, I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe it was because my name was in all the newspapers. But a guy named Richard, he, like, emailed me all these, like, sweet things about how he feels so bad about what happened. But I don't know. I mean, obviously, it's, like, nothing. I'm not going to email him back. But I just thought it was kind of sweet. You know, it's, it's nice to look at the bright side of humans during a time like this. And Matthew's like, what? Richard? Well, you're not going to respond, right? Because that's dangerous. You don't know who these people are. And she's like, no, no, I'm just going to go spend some time with my family. And right before they hang up, she's like, but do you think maybe you can come over and I can say bye? And he's like, well, you know, my wife's out of town and I have a lot going on right now. And she's like, yeah, yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. Okay, yeah, no, I'll come over. So he gets into the car and as Matthew is driving, he starts thinking to himself like, this isn't right. Like, Michelle kind of always had this underlying, like, romantic feelings for Matthew. And, I mean, his wife, this is, like, betrayal. Even if he can explain to her, listen, her husband was just murdered. But it just it just looks bad. It just, no, his wife's not going to be comfortable with that. So he gets to the apartment complex where Michelle lives in. And he's like, I'm not, no, I'm not going to do this. And he just, he calls Michelle and he says, I can't do this. And he drives back home. And on his drive back home, he can't stop thinking about Richard's email. This is what Richard does all the freaking time. So back when they were in high school, they had this huge incident. And this is when they knew that they were not going to be like the coolest brothers. Like they were not going to be tight. They weren't going to be like, hey, bro, let's hang out all the time. Because there was a girl named Sally in high school who was obsessed with Matthew. So she asked Matthew to prom. And they were at the swing sets like in the middle of the night, you know, because that's what teenagers do. And she let him down. He let him, he let her down because he wasn't interested in her and they just sat around swinging and it was just like this really nice like moment obviously she cried for a little bit but it was overall pleasant and he goes home she goes home and later that night Matthew tells Richard about everything and Richard thinks it would be funny to call Sally on the landline and pretend he's Matthew and tell him hey like I actually really like you keep your bedroom window open and put on a blindfold because I want to make out with you and he crawled in through the window and assaulted Sally before Sally took off her blindfold and realized that it was Richard. Sally did find out. Yeah. And so Sally's parents came to Matthew and Richard's parents and it became like this whole thing, but they decided not to press charges, but it was, it was bad. And this is like when he knew that Richard was just like his dad. So now he's assembling the bubble teas. Did you know his high school job was at a bubble tea shop? So is this bringing it back? Oh, I was so good. (laughs) 
<laughs> I was so freaking good at this. I'm gonna judge you if it's not the best boba tea I've ever had. I, honey? <laughs> Sorry, hold on. <laughs> it's been a minute. <laughs> I want that brown sugar drip. Oof, that brown sugar. How much boba would you like? Um, not that much. What? Okay, fine, a lot. Boba is the only thing that's keeping this alive. Boba is the only thing keeping our relationship alive. Boba is the only thing keeping this video alive. <laughs> <laughs> Oof, you're even wiping off the sides. We're gonna add lots of ice. Ooh. Wow. You know what, I like it. Are you excited? I like it. This is gonna be the best boba you ever had. Okay. 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 Right. Now this one's black tea. Sorry, I can't even see the boba that well. What is that? Honey? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we need some wipes, sir. There's gonna stain. Alright, here's the best part. Okay. It's the pour of the milk. Mm -hmm. You want the milk to dissolve in there, okay? Are you ready? That's not the milk. How is that? Wow, that's cool. It's like Woo! my coffee Ooh. in the morning. How is that? So good. Wow, that's so good. That's so pretty, no? That's so good. Wow. Whoa. Well, can I try? Can I try? Yes. Okay. Tell me what you need more. Do you need more milk or milk, more tea? Oh my gosh, so good. Is it perfect? Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm mostly excited about this one here. Mm. Ready? Hold on. Yeah, this one tastes better, for sure. Mmm, not bad. Mm -hmm. Not bad. I could mm. use a little bit more milk. Mm -hmm. How's the boba? Boba is perfect, right? Boba is so good. Like, better than store-bought Better. Boba. What's the best boba milk tea you've ever had? Maybe boba, guys? This one. Oh, this one. This one. <laughs> <laughs> Later that night, Richard asked to come over because he knows that Mira is out of town and he wants to just talk to his brother, spend the night, but also probably get free food and some money. And so Matthew decides, you know what, I'm just going to let him spend the night because he kind of wants to know why he sent that email to Michelle. Like, he doesn't have proof that it was from Richard, but he kind of suspects that it is. So he lets his brother come over, they have a good night, they eat dinner, he sleeps in the office, and then the next morning, they have breakfast together and he's just calm, like he's not weird about it at all. And he leaves and he says, Wait, by the way, before I leave, I left a present for you on your desk. And he was like, okay. So he rushes down to his desk after Richard is gone already and sees a white envelope sitting in the middle of his desk. And he opens it up and inside of it are a set of keys. And the key ring has an M on it. And he knew because he's seen this key set before that it was Michelle Bryan's keys. Apartment key? And so What's he's like, holy fork. Now we have Mira's point of view. She's out of town and she keeps thinking about, you know, her husband and thinking about all these allegations of, I don't know, murder. And she keeps thinking about her ex-boyfriend, Jay. So they were living in the same apartment complex as um, this history major, this really nerdy dude by the name of Matthew. And they were living on top of him. So right above, the floor above. And Jay was incredibly abusive. He wasn't at first, but slowly he got physically violent with her. He was always yelling at her. And she knew that Matthew heard all of this because he lived 
lived right below them, and every time that they would bump into each other on campus or wherever they were, he would act like he has no idea, and he was just kind of like this friendly face, and he, she would sometimes confide in him, but he was so good about it that any time that she was with Jay, he would be like a dude, and he would ignore the girl's existence and just, you know, give a head nod to the guy, Jay so that he would have no idea that they actually were friends or becoming friends. And Jay was just literally douchebag of the year. He had a BMW that was his most prized possessions. He talked about it nonstop. And one day after he beat her really, really badly, he left. And then they found him dead in his car. He had left a note talking about how ashamed he was of becoming someone who beats his girlfriend. And he was found of carbon monoxide poisoning inside of his BMW. And everyone just thought, oh wow, this was definitely, he took his own life. But she knew better. She knew a couple days ago that she was looking out the window and she saw Matthew chatting it up with Jay saying things like, oh, that's a cool car, bro. Like you need to take me around sometime. And she just couldn't help shake this feeling that maybe he did it to protect her. So eventually she starts becoming friends with Matthew and they end up dating and then they got married and she never thought about it again because she knew for a fact if she had stayed with Jay, he would have killed her. And so it's kind of like, you know, she kind of knows what happens, but she's not gonna say it. Meanwhile, Matthew thinks that his brother just murdered Michelle and she knows the, he knows the only way to find out is to go to Michelle's place with these keys and see if she's gone, if she had packed up her things, went to go with her family or what, she wasn't picking up her phone. So this is really, really alarming. So immediately he thought, you know what? I'm gonna go talk to Hen about it. Hen was outside and she wanted to talk to him about the whole cheating allegation. Like, how did you know? What did, what did you see that I didn't see? And they sit down on her porch and they start talking and he starts talking about how, you know, his brother's just different. His brother's like his dad. He doesn't understand what's wrong with Richard. And she's like, well, I've got some issues of my own. And while they're having these conversations, Lloyd walks home and he walks in on them talking. And he's like, what the fork? Like you literally accused this man of murder and now you guys are best friends, like chatting up on the porch. What's yeah. going on? And so Matthew leaves and she straight up tells Lloyd, he's like, what the fuck was that about? And she goes, oh, you cheated on me with Joanna. So they have like this bombshell fight about the affair. He says, listen, I just felt like our marriage was just becoming all about mortgages. And you know, it just wasn't the same anymore. It was all about like decorating the house and mortgage payments. And she was like, you mean, you mean like real life? So they start getting into these fights. Meanwhile, Lloyd is still so angry about Matthew. So she straight up tells him, you're cheating on me with Joanna and Matthew confessed to killing people. So I don't even care anymore. Like she was just over it. And now Lloyd, instead of being like, you know what? You're right, I did cheat on you. He goes into this mode of like, oh my God, he's a killer. We gotta catch this killer. And that pisses her off even more. Cause she's like, you didn't even believe me. And now you wanna move all of this anger onto Matthew when like, fork you for cheating on me, right? And so Lloyd ends up following Matthew around in the car and Matthew knows this. So they get out of the car in a parking lot and they just start going at it at each other. They start punching each other. It was a whole physical altercation. And Lloyd comes home and he's like, Hen, we've got to go. We've got to go. I mean, he's a dangerous killer. You said it so yourself. And she's like, why are you so beat up? Well, he beat me up and we've got to go. He's a killer. And this pisses her off more because she's like, okay, so when I tell you that I saw with my own two eyes that this man murdered someone with his bare hands, you don't believe it. But the minute that he punches you in the face you're like we gotta go we gotta go where's the killer like shut up and he's like listen we're gonna go but we're also gonna work on our marriage you know we're gonna and she's like i don't even know if i want to be married to you like i don't even know if i want to work on our marriage like why are you even assuming that i even want to make it work and he's like well it's too dangerous i'm not letting you stay in this house next to a killer like being like a protector and she's like fork you like i'm going to work and he's like 
no, no, like I'm gonna go with you. And she's like, no, you're not gonna come with me. And that's that. And so she ends up walking to work. Which is her studio. Yeah. So she's in the studio and she can't she can't stop thinking about the affair. She's like, I mean, I know that I should be more upset about my neighbor being a killer, but for some reason, she just didn't feel that he was that dangerous, you know, around her specifically. So she just keeps thinking about this affair and she ends up calling Joanna. The ex-girlfriend. Yeah. And she straight up is like, were you guys having an affair? Because Lloyd had told her that this weekend, during Columbus Day weekend, he had broken up with her. He felt so bad. All of that. Meanwhile, Joanna tells Hen that he never thought about breaking up with her. He was um, telling her that they were going to get a divorce soon and that they were going to get married. So she's like, all right, this is an ash hole. And while she's on these phone calls, she's like, you know what? I'm just going to make everything burn in hell. So she gets confirmation that Lloyd was telling Joanna completely different things. And then she ends up calling the same detective who was in charge of Dustin Miller's case. And she tells him, listen, Matthew told me he's a serial killer. He kills a bunch of people. He just killed this guy named Scott. I think he's like dating someone at a school. I think that's what he said or something of that sort. But anyway, you should probably do something about it. And I think maybe his brother's a serial killer too. I mean, what a up family like she's just exhausted and so he's like all right like what's his name okay what's his brother's name got it i'm gonna go ask him so the police officer ends up calling matthew now matthew starts panicking because he's like okay the minute that they get richard in the interrogation room everything's gonna fall apart because richard is not the type that's like i'm gonna protect my brother you know he's gonna straight up tell them everything that i've been killing people so i gotta do something right he's like freaking out he tells the police like oh i don't i don't know where he is like we, we haven't talked in years blah 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 and then he ends up going to Michelle's place and he was like I gotta do it I need to make sure for myself and he opens the door and he immediately knew something was bad because there was like that coppery smell and he walks in further and she was laying in her bed with blood all over the bed and all over the walls and so he rushes out of the apartment starts throwing up and just leaves so he kind of knows that his days are numbered. He gets back home, he starts panicking, he tries to get in contact with Richard, and Richard is just an absolute asshole. He's just like, so what, who cares? And Matthew is just getting so freaking frustrated, and Richard's like, so what, who cares? You don't even seem that bothered. Was this one of your 50 girlfriends that you're cheating on her with? And he's like, I've never, I'm not dad. Like, I don't cheat on my wife. Like, what is wrong with you? Like, get a life. That's when Matthew hears noises from upstairs, and his wife's not home. So he's like, what? That's weird. And it's not like a house noise. So he goes upstairs and he grabs a bat and he goes into one of the rooms, like the guest room, and out comes Lloyd. And Lloyd screams at him and he says, I heard everything. And so he swings the bat at Lloyd. And Lloyd keeps screaming and he swings the bat again at Lloyd. And then he ends up killing Wait, Lloyd. Wait, Lloyd say, I heard everything? What did Lloyd hear? Him talking to Richard about how they murdered, well, he murdered Scott and then he murdered Michelle. So he's like, I heard everything. And so he starts killing him. Now, meanwhile, Richard, after talking to Matthew, he decides, I think I killed the wrong person. I think, I think I was supposed to kill the neighbor. He doesn't seem that upset that I killed Michelle. He seems more upset that he might go to prison for killing Scott than Michelle's death. I need to kill his neighbor. He's always been going on about his neighbor these days. And you know what, when I saw her that first day, like she, I saw her undies, you know? I gotta, I gotta kill her. So he ends up Googling her, finds out where she works, and shows up at the studio. And he waits outside, and finally, one of the other people, they were leaving, and he was like, wait, hold the door for me. And he says, I'm here to see uh, Henrietta. 
And she's like, oh, yeah. And she opens the door. It's another artist who works in the studio. And he says, by the way, it's, she's in the basement studio, right? Do phones even work down there? And she says, no, you don't really get good service. And he says, all right, well, thanks. And the door shuts closed. And now Richard's kind of happy because he knows that this woman is forever. This conversation is going to forever haunt this woman. Oh. Because he's oh gonna kill gosh. Hen. She is, she is so twisted. So he starts walking down saying, Hen! Hen, hello! And she was scared. So she hears this and she's like, what? Like, this is after she called the cops. She was just talking to Joanna. Like, she was trying to get distracted and work. And she's like, okay, this is a little bit weird. But she looks out and at the end of the hallway, she sees, she's like, Matthew? I'm not Matthew. And she's like, is that his brother? And she's like, okay, well, who, who are you? I'm Richard. And like her heart sinks because she heard about Richard. And she's like, okay, okay. And he comes closer and closer. And she's like, why are you here? I, I, I don't even know you. And then she notices something. He has a scar on his chin. <laughs> you said what you just said. <laughs> I... I figure it out yeah. when they killed the husband. What's his name? Lloyd. Lloyd, just now, I figure it Why? out. Why? The husband probably heard him talking to himself. Yeah. So the husband's like, oh, I know you are fucked up. No, it gets even worse. In the book itself, he says, I heard you, you freak. And those were his last words. Yeah, I, I, that's when I was like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So she starts realizing, Oh my god, this, this is Matthew, this is, this, Matthew is Richard, Richard is Matthew, what the pork. And she starts thinking about her escape plan, he can outrun her, he can outpower her, and so they start having all these conversations. I mean, the conversations are intense in this one, but not in like a, not in like a, I don't know, again, I think it's like the true crimer in me, this conversation was just not very realistic to like if I was being held captive by an absolute serial killer, I just don't think that I would be like, let me talk to Matthew, you know? But that's what she was doing, and eventually, Matthew comes out, and he has no idea what happened and he lets her go so she gets into her car and she starts dialing for the detective and he's like where are you we've been trying to get in contact with you like you need to come home your husband's been in an accident so she rushes home and the police are surrounding Matthew's house and she finds out that Lloyd had been murdered so after he murders the husband, he went to her. Mm -hmm. So the police rush to the studio and they arrest him. And when they interrogate him, it seems they like he has- Matthew? Yeah. And when they interrogate him, it seems like he genuinely has no idea that he too is Richard. So Richard was alive, but he died of infant, um, sudden infant death syndrome. And it was always just Matthew. So even in the parts where it's Richard's POV, he talks almost, um, like a kid. Like the way that he talks, you could you could obviously chalk it up to the fact that he's like this raging misogynistic asshole and most of those people are not intelligent. But also it was just like too much so like a kid that you were like, okay, like something, there's like this weird juxtaposition of this like put together history teacher versus his brother is, he's not talking vulgar. He The language that he uses is very childlike. Mm -hmm. So um, he's like, yeah, I don't know where Richard is. And they just keep trying to press him about it. And they're like, well, Richard died, you know? You, you're you're single you're a single kid like you didn't have any siblings because he died when he was a baby and so obviously they arrest him and the police tell hen that he's gonna spend a long time in a psychiatric ward and she doesn't have to worry 
And so she thought about what she was going to do. Was she going to sell the house? But she decided against it. And she just wanted to move on with her life. You know, he's going to get help. Everything's going to be okay. And she went back to her studio and started going through old sketches. She just wanted to get rid of all the old stuff and start new. And there was this one sketch of Dustin Miller sitting at the edge of his bed in his bedroom that she had sketched out. He was sitting at the edge of his bed looking arrogant, cocky, and just humorless. And she remembered that night, suddenly. One time when Lloyd went to one of Rob's bonfires, she had gone to the village inn, gotten some drinks, and she was sketching people there. She just liked to sketch random people there. And, you know, he sat down next to her, Dustin Miller, and was like, what are you sketching? And she said, oh, I mean, just anything. He says, well, can you sketch me? And she's like, yeah, I can. And she started sketching, but he said, not here, though. Let's do it at my place. It'll be better. It'll be more special to me. And for whatever reason, I don't know if it was like the artist in her, but she was kind of intrigued. Like, who is this like arrogant ass dude? And so she ends up going to his place. It was literally on the street that she lived. So she felt a little bit more comfortable. And for about 20 minutes, she sat there and started sketching him. And then she walked over to him and handed it to him. And he started trying to kiss her. And she was like, whoa, whoa, whoa like, no, I'm married. And then he threw her onto the bed and she's like, no, 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 I'm married. And he said, yeah, I know you told me, I don't care. And she's like, okay, well, like, let me use the restroom. And so she rushes into the bathroom and she's like panicking. Like, what do I do? What do I do? She even thought to herself, maybe I should just go through with it because I'm like scared of this dude. Like, why is he acting like this? And he even said to her, don't fucking change your mind. So she's terrified, but she doesn't want to leave like her prince with her. And then finally, while she's like thinking like, do I jump out the window? What do I do? You know, he's like, all right, well, let me use the restroom too. So she's like, this is my chance. He goes into the restroom, she grabs all her stuff and starts running. And she makes it to the front door, but he grabs her arm and starts twisting it. And she looks at him and says, I'll fucking scream. Like, I'll do it. I'll fucking scream so loud, you have no idea. And he lets go of her and says, okay. Well, maybe next time, bitch. And the next time that she saw Dustin Miller was him in a body bag a week later. So, is that it? That's it. So at first, I had mixed feelings about this book because I don't like books about split personality. It's kind of what they're like in the genre of. Like, you know, the movie Split is literally about split personality because I just feel like it could be damaging to some people. But I think maybe that's not what this book is about because there's so many mentions of serial killers. There is so much mention of like true crime that I imagine if they had done enough research, then they probably wouldn't have written this book about split personality unless they did. I feel like they probably wrote it about serial killers and their way to compartmentalize. Mm. So the fact that he kept talking about he never cheats on his wife, he's such a family man, but then on the other respect, like he was so violent towards women and men. So it makes me feel like the serial killers like BTK, like this is kind of what's going on in their head. Like there's no way that in the same breath that you respect your wife and your daughters and all of your church you know, congregation, but then like, how do you viciously R-word and murder other women? Like, that doesn't make sense to me. So maybe this is kind of like that, like showing the insights. Cause I read a lot of books from the perspective of killers and it's always really weird. It's always really dramatized of like, I can't wait to get like blood all over me. Like, uh -huh, I hate people. I'm better than people. People deserve to die. But this one was interesting because there was like this dynamic of he really genuinely thought that he was such a good person. I can't believe this took me so long to figure it yeah. out. Yeah. You figure out before this. Yeah, right? I remember while I was listening to the audiobook, I literally stopped like halfway and I was like, I think I know it. 
and he was like, are you sure? And then he was like, well, let me know at the end if you really know it. And I was like, okay. Wow. <laughs> it's the true crime in me. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's video. I know it was um, three hours long, but let me know in the comments what are your thoughts. And make sure to check out Audible at audible.com slash BAM. That's B-A-M or text BAM to 500-500. And I'll see you guys tomorrow. Bye.